Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, presented by Living Stream Ministry. These life studies explore every book in the Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. These messages unveil how the scriptures can be living and more than mere doctrine to man. Today, we bring you recorded excerpts of Witness Lee's original speaking, along with some of our own comments and thoughts. If you have questions, please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. According to our natural concept, the Almighty God, the Creator, the Holy One, has given us the law that we might observe it and keep it. Although this religious concept is common among all believers, it's far off from God's intention, God's New Testament economy. Stay with us for today's Life Study of the Bible, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee. We come today to our second program, second of five, recorded on location, actually, in the land of Israel. Uh, We have had two incredible, almost indescribable weeks as we have journeyed through, initially, Israel and the path of the patriarchs and then into Egypt. And we have followed the children of Israel in their route of the Exodus as they came out from Egypt unto Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, or Mount Horeb. We now have come to Israel and the good land and the shores of the Galilee, a place called Naf Ginosar. And here with me to add some of his own thoughts, not only about the message we're about to enjoy, but also to give a few moments of reflection on the weeks that we've had together in the Holy Land is Ron Kangas. Ron, quite a time we've had together, hasn't it been? It has been an amazing period of time, a time to see reflected in the geography of this area. I think at this juncture, I would comment just on one kind of thing, and that's the significance of so many of the mountains that we saw. We saw Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered Isaac, and eventually Mount Moriah became the site for the building of the temple. We saw the Mount of Olives, from which the Lord ascended, and to which he will return. And then we saw Mount Megiddo, overlooking the plain that will be the site of the ultimate battle to end this age. And we enjoyed seeing Mount Hermon, where the Lord Jesus was glorified, at which time his divinity permeated his humanity to give a foretaste and to produce a miniature of the manifestation of the kingdom. And we saw Mount Nebo, where Moses was given a view of the promised land into which he could not enter because of his violation of God's administration and the incident of smiting the rock twice. And at that mountain, he also died at the word of the Lord. And then, of course, we saw the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai. To my feeling, it was not the threatening place where God came down in fire in response to the people's blindness and ignorance. Rather, it really was, in my feeling, the mountain of God. 
a mountain of revelation, a mountain where we can, spiritually speaking, be in God, in Christ, to be infused with his glory. Let me just say, uh, as a bit of clarification to our listeners who may not have studied this matter in quite the depth that we have been able to get into in the last two weeks. The mountain of God in the wilderness of Sinai has these two names. When it is Mount Sinai, that is a fearsome thing, as you said, and a reflective of a condition existing among God's people where their dealing with him is not at all according to his heart's desire. God's intent was really this would be a place of intimacy and a loving interaction with his people as opposed to this fearsome setting where the law became a a harsh requirement for the people. What the mountain is to God's people depends on them. If they recognize that they are nothing and they can do nothing in and of themselves to please God and satisfy God, but are absolutely dependent upon the grace of God, then the mountain becomes the mountain of God as Mount Horeb where God comes in grace to infuse himself into us. But if we are ignorant both of God's desire and of our condition, and dare to say, whatever the Lord requires of us, we will do, then the mountain will be Mount Sinai, because the Lord will need to come in and administer the law in such a way that we will eventually be uh, subdued and exposed and brought to a realization that in and of ourselves we cannot fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Christ and only Christ can do this. Well, Ron, I think this serves as a very uh, appropriate introduction, really, to the program that we have today. We still have the message of Witness Lee to get into and enjoy, and it's very much along this line. So let's go to him right now. Christ, firstly, became the burnt offering offered to God to satisfy God. Then he became the peace offering to make peace between God and man. And eventually he became the feast for God and man to enjoy mutually. This is Christ that redeemed us, that terminated us, and that replaced us. We Having been replaced by Christ in this way, we are the burnt offering to God. And we are the peace offering. Day by day, we are satisfying God. Day by day, we are enjoying a peace with Christ at the feast, mutually with God. Could you have such a kind of issue, result, outcome by observing the law? No, this is why I told you already that God gave the law not with the intention that his people would observe it. No, but with the intention that his people would be replaced with Christ. Being made a kind of reflection of God. Whenever you heard the message, spontaneously, unconsciously, you would say, Lord, help me make up a mind that I will do it. This kind of thing still remains in us. This is wrong. Don't try to keep to observe God's law. Amen. 
Forget about that. Now God is rearranging you. God is reconstituting you. Christ replacing you. Making you His reflection. A living testimony of God. Spontaneously, all the righteous requirements of the law will be fulfilled in this reflection. Ron, we've heard a lot that I think may be new or a little contrary to the typical or natural thought related to the law. Uh, And in this second message on the enactment of the covenant, the enactment of the Ten Commandments God gave to his people, we're seeing that what it takes to satisfy God is not what we think here. Why are our own efforts never able to satisfy God, even if we are seemingly able, at least for a time, to keep the commandments? From God's point of view, as revealed in his word, and from the point of view of our actual condition, the Bible reveals that God is satisfied only with Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 3, the Lord's baptism, and in chapter 17, at the Lord's transfiguration, the Father's voice from the heavens proclaims, This is my beloved Son, in whom I have found my delight. We cannot fully satisfy God no matter how good our efforts or even the outcome of our efforts may be, simply because we're not Christ. And Christ is the embodiment and manifestation and expression of God, the testimony of God. Even if we were perfect in our behavior, we would only express ourselves. So from God's point of view, he is satisfied only with Christ. We are fallen human beings. We have the nature of sin, which is actually the nature of Satan, in us. We simply cannot come up to the standard of God's righteousness, holiness, and glory. God measures us not only by the standard of his righteous law and by his holy nature, but by his glorious expression. So Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Glory is God expressed. We are utterly unable to produce anything that will remotely satisfy God. God doesn't want us even to try. He wants us to admit our need for Christ in redemption, termination, replacement, and reconstitution. And if we admit our need, then the Lord will grace us and Christ will live in us a God-satisfying life. Well, Ron, let's go back to more of Witness Lee sharing. The Old Testament not only reveals to us this one covenant, which eventually is called the Old Covenant, but it also prophesies a new one coming. A new covenant. Both in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. These two portions foretelling us that another covenant is coming. Then the coming covenant says, I will put my love in your heart. 
and I will inscribe or write my status within you. I will put in you something that you didn't have. Then Ezekiel 36 says what? I put a new heart in you. That means to change your nature. And I put a new spirit in you. That means to regenerate you. And I put my spirit in you. This is to replace us. Then God's people will be spontaneously walking, living in a way corresponding with God's laws, righteous requirements. Not observing the law, but reflecting the law. The indication of this was there in Exodus 24. In the enactment of the old covenant, there was an indication that the law was given by God to his people, not for them to observe, but for them to be made a reflection of God. And by what way God made them a reflection? By them redeemed, terminated, and replaced. And this will make them another person. At the cross, who have been redeemed. At the cross, who have been terminated. At the cross, who have been replaced. Then we got a new nature. A new heart. And we got new spirit. Regeneration. And we got the divine spirit added into our being. Then we will have a life reflecting God. Ron, we've seen that for us to become God's testimony and even his reflection requires that first we're redeemed, then terminated and ultimately replaced. This is a marvelous revelation. But I particularly enjoyed that there were a couple of additional seemingly Old Testament passages from Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 that really help give a practical application of what this means for us. Would you comment on these uh, supplemental portions that we heard Witness Lee bring into the picture today? Let me comment on Ezekiel 36 first, where he said that I will give you a new heart and I will put my spirit within you. This points to an intrinsic change in our being. We will have a new heart that is a new nature. And our human spirit, which was deadened because of the fall, will be regenerated and have the life of God to be a new spirit. So now we become a new creation with a new heart and a new spirit, with the spirit, the application of the triune God indwelling us. This is a marvelous inward change leading to reconstitution. In Jeremiah 31, we have a prophecy concerning God's making a new covenant with the house of Israel. And in this new covenant, he will by no means remember our sins, iniquities, and lawlessnesses. They will be fully forgiven. This forgiveness is the application of redemption to us. Then based upon the redeeming blood and the forgiveness of sins, the Lord can do a marvelous inward work to write his law on our hearts. That's the law of life mentioned in Romans 8 verse 2. 
It's the spontaneous function of the life of God. And we will have the inward ability to know God. And we will become God's people. And God will become our God, which we understand in the light of the New Testament to mean that we will be God's inheritance and God will be our inheritance. So these two passages are precious because they unveil the heart's desire of God to work himself into our being based upon Christ's redemption, to give us a new heart, a new spirit, the spirit of God, the law of God's life wrought into us, the inward capacity to know God. Eventually, we become God's inheritance and he becomes ours. This is the clear word of the Bible. What we need to do is believe it, receive it, and allow the Lord to work it out in our experience day by day. Well, Ron, we have one very brief section of Witness Lee sharing to go today. Let's go back to him now. This little portion of the enactment of the Old Covenant is a picture even of God's economy. God's chosen and redeemed people need to be redeemed terminated, replaced, and made pillars of the law, not observers of the law. God doesn't have any intention to ask us to observe any precepts given by him. Not such a thing. God's intention is to just replace us. First, redeem us, then terminate us, and then replace us and make us the reflection of himself. Never say this, Lord, whatever you say, I'll do it. This is the common human way. You have a pair of old shoes full of holes. You have a lot of shortcomings. That's what you have to pledge in. You have to say, thank you, Lord, I have nothing. Hallelujah, I have nothing. Nothing, Lord, but you have redemption, Amen. you have termination, Amen. and you have replacement, Amen. you have the reconstitution. Amen. You are remaking me. You are living pillars, Amen. living reflection, Amen. the living testimony of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. By what way? By working Himself into our being. Amen. Ron, as we see so often on this broadcast and the handling this ministry, uh, the points that very often slip by when we read Scripture in the hands of a craftsman in God's Word become the very points that contain so many of the riches and much of the light. I think that's really the case in this message. These items that came with the enactment of the law, the altar built by Moses, the pillars erected by Moses, and the sacrifices with the blood. These were the items that accompanied the giving of the law, and as we've seen, these are the items of the enactment of the law. If God's people had been paying attention then, and if we're paying attention now, what is the message, what is the word from the Lord that should come if we really see these items that are supplemental to the law? There is a basic and general understanding And then there is a particular understanding in various aspects that we should receive from this word. 
the basic general understanding is we in ourselves are just nothing. We have nothing and can do nothing to satisfy God. God knows this, and we need to know it, and God wants us to know it. So we won't try to do what simply cannot be done. And then instead of trying, we will exercise faith, which comes as a gift from God, to receive the grace of God, which is God himself as our enjoyment to be everything and do everything in us, through us, and for us, we will receive this grace to allow the Lord to work himself into us based upon his redemption. And this brings us to some of the particular things we need to understand. And I would focus on four and that is the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ, Christ himself, especially as the offerings and sacrifices, and the expression of Christ or the testimony of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is Hebrews 9.22. This is the basis so the blood of Christ is the basis on which God forgives us and justifies us. But this is just the beginning. Then we need the cross of Christ to terminate us. That's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives. We need light to shine on us that that religious self of ours or that independent self of ours that tries to do things in itself to please God, that self needs to be terminated through the cross of Christ. God wants for us to be reconstituted with Christ, to be replaced by Christ. This means God's desire is that Christ would be wrought into our being, so Christ himself, of course, is the burnt offering, the one who is for God, and the peace offering. But as we experience the application of the blood of Christ and the cross of Christ, then in Christ we become the burnt offering, we become the peace offering, we become a constitution of Christ. And this brings us to the goal, symbolized by the pillars, and that is the expression of Christ, the testimony of Christ, the reflection of Christ. Christ lived out of us, personally, but in and for something corporate. This is God's economy. God's economy is to redeem us through the blood of Christ, to terminate us through the cross of Christ, to reconstitute us, with the all-inclusive Christ in order to achieve his goal to have a corporate expression of Christ. If we are enlightened to see what this word is saying and if we receive the proper understanding through the Lord's ministry, we will stop our vain efforts. We will turn to the Lord and open to him to receive his all-sufficient grace 
and trusting in the blood of Christ, we will receive the application of the cross of Christ in order to be replaced and reconstituted by and with Christ to become the corporate expression of Christ, the reflection of God, God's living testimony. This is what God wants. And God needs a group of people who want what he wants. This is our particular burden in the fellowship on this marvelous, enlightening message. Well, I wish we had more time, Ron. This is such wonderful material and uh, the light that is shining through this ministry. And I would have to say enhanced uh, from the trip that we have been on and what we've been privileged to see. This warrants our whole life's effort to get into it, doesn't it? That is not an exaggeration. We can just present a little taste, encouraging our listeners first to turn to the Lord himself, to pray, to open to him, to love him, and then to read his word, the source of all revealed truth. And then we would hope in all sincerity and honesty to receive the benefit of the spoken and printed materials of this ministry as a help to be ushered into the intrinsic significance of the divine revelation in the Word of God. I'd like to thank Ron Kangas for joining me today. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. To contact us, please call toll-free 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Thanks for listening today.